0: All right, welcome to Grabs Podcast, <clears throat> where we share first-hand stories of real-world rescues. Our guest today is Dustin Sinclair, who is now with the City of Franklin, and, uh, City of Franklin in Tennessee. Dustin, uh, tell us about your department and/or the department you made the grab with and your experience.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on here. Uh, so to start off, um, I currently work for the City of Franklin Fire Department. It's an ISO Class One Fire Department. Uh, we have eight fire stations. Um, it's you know, your basic medium sized city, you know, we have anything from 800 square foot homes all the way up to, you know, 19,000 square foot homes. And so, uh, you know, we, you know, we run a first alarm assignment usually of at least two pumping apparatus and at least 100 foot tower ladder on a residential. And then we'll usually get a second uh, tower ladder to respond as writ. And then we get a heavy rescue company. Um, so it's, it's pretty bread and butter there. Um, but where this happened at was actually in a rural volunteer setting. Um, out in middle of nowhere. So it was a city of Aaron fire department at the time when this happened, I was a captain. I had been on the department since 2005. Um, So I came through the ranks from a fire explorer all the way up to fire captain. Um, We are one of three fire departments that were in that County at the time. Um, And it was the County that this was in was in Houston County, which is, you know, roughly an hour and a half West of Nashville. Um, so it's a place that really nobody's ever really heard of. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but we, uh, we ran as a single station department. Um, if we ran a, you know, a fire, we would call mutual aid from our two surrounding fire departments. But the, the catch with that, though, was that there wasn't a lot of interior firefighters from those other fire departments that were coming. Um, you know, we had roughly uh, uh, 13 firefighters on the roster and five of us were officers. And pretty much all five officers, the only interior people we had at the time. So, you know, doing more with less kind of became our, you know, our mantra, because if we showed up on a fire, it could be me and one other person doing all the work for a significant amount of time until more substantial help arrives.
0: Uh, awesome. All right. What's uh, so with that department, what was the search culture, the search culture within that department? And then, uh, who to dis- suit, well, obviously if only a couple of units, who searches and when does it get assigned?
1: Uh, so as far as searching goes, you know, we, up into that point, you know, we didn't really have a a lot of of search culture period. The, uh, the training, we went by was our basic 16 and 64 hour curriculum, which is, you know, the, uh, the basic firefighter um, curriculum that the state of Tennessee pushes out for volunteers. Um, And that, you know, the training schedule behind that can be spaced out over however many weeks they want to do it. And we were, uh, we were a pretty aggressive department, but we didn't have a lot of guidance, if that makes sense. up until that point, I had been to the University of Illinois, light and fight, and so I got some really good aggressive, you know, uh, search culture type training from some guys in, in the Illinois area. And I brought that back with me. But, you know, we didn't have a training center to practice. You know, we're, we're using the bay floors. Um, we didn't have real furniture to, to practice on. Um, so, you know, we, we had kind of an aggressive mindset but didn't get to put it into practice a lot. if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, what, uh, what's your typical search look like then? Like do you do guys VES, do you split, you guys do an oriented search, rope search.
1: So <laughs> in this setting, you know, there's really no set standard at that time. It was, you're going to be advancing the hose line, focus on getting fire, you know, fire attack knocked out and doing what you can from the hose line. Um, if it's you and one other person making entry, you know, you're, you're more or less just trying to, you know, search as much space as you can. Um, We had never really had any VES, like, formal VES training. Uh, We had watched watched a lot of videos on it, but we didn't have a lot of props to practice on. Um, So, you know, there was really no system in place for search. It was, okay, if we go interior, we'll do a search while we're in there. But it was more or less, you know, working off the hose line.
0: Yep. All right. So uh, take us back to that day and uh, tell us a little bit about it.
1: So March 5th, 2013, um, our 911 center received a call about uh, 4.58 in the morning. Um, The female occupant that was on the phone, uh, she had uh, her uh, husband and her two kids in the house. And she had called saying, you know, that she thought her house was on fire. They could smell smoke and they were actually coughing in the tape if you listen to it. Um, What had happened is uh, uh, one of the children woke up and said, you know, Mom, I think my bedroom's on fire. I can smell smoke. And so by the time he came out of the bedroom, woke his sister up and got her, the, they could say they could already see fire coming out of the bedroom that he came from. So that action alone probably saved their lives. Um, so mom gets the kids, she calls 911. Um, the dispatcher's asking is everybody out of the house? And they said, well, we're trying to get everybody out. Um, when we get the dispatch tones, the dispatch tones, uh, all she said was uh structure fire and gave us the address. Um, Myself and uh, my lieutenant, uh, who live you know, about the same distance from the fire hall I did, we were less than a block away from the firehouse, and this address, you know, was you know less than three minutes away. And where he lives at, he actually uh, got out on his front porch and he could actually see smoke in his neighborhood, so he knew it was close by. And uh, but because his gear was at the station, he uh, drove his POV over to the station. So me and him, we got on our engine. And uh, his name is Chris, and he and I, you know, we were you know we were best friends and we pretty much went on every bad call that we ever had together. So we always had our system in place, what we were going to do. Um, but again, there was no formalized training. It was figured out when you get there. Um, so he gets in the truck. I get in, I'm in full turnouts. He's, you know, he's got an air pack in his seat. Um, the air packs that we wore back then was the, uh, uh it was a, it was a Draeger system, but it was the state prison issued, uh, air packs that were made of these thin blue nylon straps with a small plastic back plate on it but you know, a twenty-two sixteen steel bottle that could have come from a Scott. It could have come from a survivor. It could have come from anything that would fit in it. So that's, that's the weight we had on our backs. Well, so we go down the road. Um, I can already see smoke silhouetting through the streetlights. And so I, I put out that it was going to be a working fire. Um, my first mistake at that point was I didn't call for mutual aid. Um, we were just going to roll up and just see what it was. Cause again, the dispatcher gave us no additional information. You know, I didn't ask for a hydrant report, didn't get any information. Uh, so we pull up and it's a, uh, I put it out as a two story single family dwelling. And the way that we do things with our size up back then was whoever's driving is going to likely be the incident commander and they're going to be running the pump panel. And if you have somebody with you, they're going to be your nozzleman and do fire attacks. So, uh, we pull up, I, you know, I, I'd established command. Um, I I'd actually said on the radio that I believe all the occupants appear to be out because mom, dad, and the two kids were standing on the front porch. And at this point, there was fire coming out of the front windows and we actually had a pretty good little rainstorm coming through at that time so what was kind of amazing was we were looking at these people staying on the front porch and it's pouring rain outside but they're standing on the porch they're not leaving the house they're just standing there so we pulled them off the porch uh we had you know we we walk up to the to the house and we start asking questions saying you know is anybody else in there and at first she kind of hesitated and said well I, I i believe everybody's out um Chris had, ter- had walked to the Delta side of the house and had, you know, verified that there was no fire on the second floor. It looked like it was on the first floor. Um, and as we started to to walk towards uh, the Bravo side, um, we could hear a faint cough and, and like a faint yell. And we look up and there's uh, two arms sticking out of a window on the Bravo side facing the yard. And so at that point our hearts kind of sank a little bit because, you know, we we thought everybody was out and here we are looking at someone hanging, you know, with their arms sticking out the windows and, when she opened the window to stick her arms out, she had a uh, pretty heavy gray smoke coming from behind her. So, uh, Chris goes to grab a twenty-four footer. Uh, we ran duo safety ladders back then, so he was able to shoulder it pretty easily by himself. Um, and the funny thing about that was, you know, we had never really practiced that—actually getting the ladder off by yourself, you know, off the rig and then throwing it. Um, I had pulled, you know, our uh, our hose complement back then was a mixed inch and a half with hundred psi fog nozzles that were adjustable gallonage. So we always set them on anything from 30 to 95. Cause again, nobody taught us anything different about flow and why it's important. So I pull it to the, you know, to the front door. Um, he throws the ladder. I had given a, a scene update saying that we, had, we had possibly, you know, at least one person upstairs with maybe a second, uh, the female occupant there said that she thought maybe, uh, a, a friend of hers was staying there with possibly her boyfriend. So put out that we had possibly two people trapped. The ladder hits the, uh, the, the second division, but the thing that made this unique about the ladder throw was, uh, there was a, a small pitch roof for the first floor addition that was built on the Bravo side and the pitch comes down towards you. And so that blocks the window partially. So when you throw a ladder to it, you're not going to actually throw the ladder to the window. You're going to throw it onto the pitch roof. And the, um, the fly section of the ladder is going to go underneath and across the bottom half of the window, which partially blocks the window. And there was no other way to do it. Um, so he throws the ladder. Um, we just go right into rescue mode. Um, right at this point, our chief is in his POV. He lives close to the firehouse, but because his gear is at the uh, the fire station, you know, he, he diverts to the scene because he can hear that we're making an active rescue. So he, he uh, assumes command from me and I'm, and Chris and I, we head up the ladder. Um, Chris gets up the ladder. He transfers over onto the pitch roof and he's it's such an awkward angle because he has to hold the ladder and maintain footing on the pitch roof. And then I come up the ladder and I can maintain my position on the ladder to receiver. Well, what we did not know is that this window is only 24 inches wide. It was fully intact. And of course the top half was uh, sagging down on top of her. And our patient was, uh, was very obese. Uh, She weighed somewhere between two hundred and 300 pounds. And she had already been there for a significant amount of time already. And was, you know, she was semi-conscious. She was coughing. She was not helping us at all getting out that window.
0: Hey, Dustin. Yeah. At this point, have you ever uh, even tried to drag a simulated 300-pound victim out of a house, even on floor one?
1: No, never. We had used plastic mannequins in the State Fire Academy. and. Occasionally we practiced on each other, but again, there was nobody to teach us how to properly drag anybody. It was either do the fireman's carry, you know, that you do in your combat challenge or, sure. or maybe grab them by their arms, but there was no proper way, like not the ways that we know now.
0: Yeah. So you see so pretty much from here on out, like it was a made up story for you. You didn't yes. really think about how to bring out a 300 pound patient from a two story.
1: That thought never crossed our mind that that would even be a scenario we could be faced with. Okay. As ironic as that sounds.
0: No, no. Uh, that's, I think it happens to a lot of us.
1: Yeah. So, um, her, you know, her first name was Rose, you know, so, you know, I, I remember Rose, you know, looking at us and she's like, I'm going to die. You know, she's, she's giving us that impending doom look. And, you know, so Chris and I, we just started pulling on her. And because uh, again, you know, how are we supposed to keep a window that's resting on top of her up and pull her at the same time with no substantial footing? Uh, so we were able to get her to, to grab the ladder. Um, we both reached inside. And at this point, I mean, this the fire on the first floor is just rocking. And when our chief arrived, he charged the line. He tried to knock some of the fire down from the outside. Um, but the fire had started to extend up the stairwell. And the way this house was laid out was, you know, the, the upstairs area was a, an unfinished attic that had been converted into a bedroom. So we didn't have a door at the top of the stairs. We didn't have uh, sheetrock walls to block the fire. Um, I can remember one point actually looking in the room and I could see, you know, the, the smoking thicker and it was getting really hot. And, uh, Chris and I actually, we didn't have our masks on. So, you know, we were taking in the smoke and it's starting to get hard to breathe. Well, finally, we just said, look, we've got to pull her. We've got to get at least one more good pull. And this is going on for about five minutes already. And we're really not making much headway. So I stick my arm in the window and I grab between her legs. Chris is grabbing on her arms and pulling and we were able to finally get her to hold onto the ladder just enough where we could grab her by, you know, the, the bottom half of her body, which she's only wearing a, a partial nightgown. She's not wearing anything on her legs. Uh, and we pull her. And I, the thing that really sticks out at this point is, you know, they talk about victims being slick when we grabbed her. Um, it was like grabbing just, just like a lubricated surface. There was nothing to hold on to. And Chris at one point where he grabbed her by her leg, he actually tore skin off of her in the process. And she, I remember her screaming, you know, and she felt like she was burning and we looked and her whole bottom half is turning black. So we're just like, Oh my God, you know, this is, this is not anything that we could have ever imagined. So we get on the ladder. Go ahead.
0: At this time are you guys messed up or no?
1: No, we're still not messed up. Um, Chris, Chris had his air pack on his back, but he didn't put his mask on. Um, I didn't put an air pack on because I was more focused on getting her onto the ladder, and I didn't think I was going to actually be in the environment. Yep. Um, but at this point, we're just we're just working as hard as we can. Um, so we get her onto the ladder. Um, she the the only part of this actually went fairly smooth was uh, the carry down. So I'd weighed around this time, probably between one thirty five and one forty on a good day, and when we got her onto the ladder, um, I was able to get my left arm underneath her neck and you know, hold the beam and then my right le- uh, right arm between her legs and then slide her down the beam. The thing that kind of sticks out here too is that when she grabbed the ladder and she was out, she really was not fighting. You know, she got on the ladder and was like, okay, I'm, I'm out, I'm safe. But as soon as I slid her down about six inches, she started to fight. She started to flail. She started kicking her legs. And at one point I thought she was going to take me down the ladder with her. But I was able to squeeze her to the ladder as hard as I could and that was probably one of the things that we had actually learned properly was how to carry somebody down a ladder that was, you know, semi-conscious or unconscious. And I was able to slide her all the way down to the ground. But, but once we got on the ground, that was it. I mean, she was not doing anything. She was she collapsed right there. And I'd actually had to call for our chief to come over and help me pull her away from the house. And then Chris was making his way down the ladder.
0: Uh, wow. So, um, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. That sounded pretty intense. Um, so let's talk about the, um, the angle of the ladder what was the angle of uh, the ladder and was it fly in or fly out or do you even remember
1: it was a fly out position um the angle was roughly you know probably 65 to 70 degrees um, but it's resting on the gutter line of that pitched roof so yeah. we only we only had to extend it maybe two rungs to get to our target um but again that was the only way we could get it to where it was perpendicular to that window so basically if you can picture you know like a somebody coming down a slide. Well, imagine the windows to the right at the top of the slide and you're having to receive them out the window onto the slide and take them down sideways. So that that's about the best way I can, I can picture that. Absolutely. All right. But right here where we think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a done deal. uh, It actually gets worse. Um, So we get her down. We say, Hey, is there anybody else in there? And she says, I think my boyfriend is still in there. And we're like, Oh man. You know, so we're already tired, you know, and again, this was only about five minutes, but you know, we worked as hard as we could to get her out. Um, I went back to the truck and grabbed an air pack this time. Um, we masked up, you know, we did not mask up with gloves on back then. It was by the book, check your seal, put your hood on, then put your, you know, put your helmet on and tuck your chin strap around your neck. You know, that whole jazz. Yeah. My, my gloves were actually on a, um, at the time were on a Velcro strap that was issued by the turnout gear company. And when we were bringing her down the ladder, one of the things that I did not realize is that my gloves had actually come out of the strap and were lost somewhere in the bushes underneath uh, where the ladder was. And, um, so I had no gloves, but we were still in a rescue mode and I said, well, I'm still gonna make an attempt to go in after him. So I grabbed my extrication gloves that were in my pocket and put those on. Said, "Well, maybe this will buy us some time. Of course. Um, Chris is still fully geared up. He puts his mask on. He, he comes up the ladder behind me. Um, we get to the top of the ladder. Um, I was able to, to have a, a tool in my hand. I was able to take the window out. Chris had actually grabbed the hose line and, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, we got fire coming up the stairs. Maybe we can fight it back and buy some time. And, and Chris is you know, uh, was uh, an MP and was working for the SRTs, um, at Fort Campbell at the time. So, you know, he's used to being, you know, providing yourself some cover, you know, while you can do your job. And so that was kind of his mindset. So he hands me the hose line and I remember flowing the, the line into the window and at this point, the smoke is thick black. I mean, it is pre-flashover conditions. And when I started flowing, it did absolutely nothing. We were flowing into the window, and uh, we had had a second attack line pulled on the ground. And they were flowing into the, you know, from the yard again because there's nobody interior to help us yet. And the fire's not doing anything. It's not changing at all. We had enough fire that extended up the stairs and into the attic. The attic was starting to light off, and we didn't even know it. Um, so we're flowing, and and I mean, it's doing absolutely nothing. So I thought I had saw a slight change in the smoke turned to like a dark gray. So then I said, okay, I'm going to dive in real quick and just see if I can find him. I went in about, you know, probably waist deep into the window. And as soon as I did, it was like every part of me was on on fire on my arms. I mean, I just, I started feeling like little bee stings. And of course my stupid self was not wearing proper gear. So I had no choice. I had to back out and I started flowing water again. And this goes on for probably two or three more minutes. and Then finally, uh, Chief said that he could see, you know, fire extending up the stairs again. And we saw a fire actually coming out of the back windows that you know didn't have anything coming out of them before. And then we could see a fire actually rolling over into the room and then so I made a call that fire was flashing over and we could not make entry from where we were. So he pulled us out and we went defensive at that point and uh, had to leave the victim there.
0: All right, then the ambulance showed up and they took her away or did you guys ride with her?
1: Uh, no, so the ambulance showed up later. Um, they, they picked her up. They were doing advanced life support, uh, but they stayed on scene for a pretty extended amount of time because they wanted to innovate her. And the, 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 local, the local burn center was an hour and a half away in Nashville. So they were gonna have to do a scene flight from our local hospital. So coordinating those resources took some time. Um, but, you know, we had uh, we had tried a couple more times to to go back in, even though we were told to go defensive. But there was just nothing we could do. And we were not medically trained. Our department does not do medical at all. It was just fires and wrecks. So we stayed, you know, with the operation. And then by that time, uh, the other departments started showing up, and we started getting, you know, probably 15 to 20 people on the fire ground. And only about, again, six or seven of us that could actually go inside.
0: Yeah. Uh, you guys not being <clears throat> EMS qualified, we'll call it kind of helps you make that decision of uh ignoring that first VIC and going down going for the second VIC going inside.
1: Yeah, and th- and we didn't have anything to treat her with. You know, we didn't carry O2. You know, we didn't carry IV supplies. You know, and, you know, we had one member at the time I think that was a an advanced EMT, but that was it. You know, and our we didn't have any protocols for our fire department to even run EMS calls. So, you know, we're the only time EMS ever calls us if it's a cardiac arrest or a lift assist. And that's about it
0: uh and what's her what was your status now do you know um in the back of the ambulance you mean sure um, whatever so what the, the latest you know whatever you know this oh your... now
1: oh yeah so now um so her status now is you know she's she's doing alive and well uh she actually went to the burn center she was there for a couple months um then she had to do about six months of rehabilitation at a local nursing home and then she was released later um a year later actually a year to the date um we actually got to meet her in person and she actually you know thanked us. And it was a, it was a pretty moving moment, you know, because in, in our uh, history of our fire department, that had never happened before. Uh, Everybody that had been a confirmed entrapment had always died in the house and there was always a recovery later. So we were told that this is the first time that anything like this had ever been done before. And, and it should have been a simple, you know, go climb the ladder, pull her out. But it was with a lack of education, a lack of training, you know, we, we did not know any other way to do it. And in all honesty, there's probably a lot of career guys I talked to that said that, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do that probably either. So,
0: yeah. So like, let's talk about that. Like, uh, what do you know now? Like that was a 2005, right? Uh, 2013 is when that oh, happened. Oh, 13. Okay. So 2013. So that's what, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, what do you teach now? Uh, or what have you learned from that? What's different in your life now because of that fire?
1: Uh, I I mean, there's just so much, I mean, this fire literally, um, was, uh, it changed my entire outlook and it, it completely reignited my passion with what I call jet fuel. Um, because I was doing things at such a minimum standard, you know, I, I didn't know any better, but once I figured out there was better ways to do things and things had been proven techniques for many years, you know, I, I had to, I had to change, um, First thing, you know, I, I would say I had to learn how to do everything with gloves on. I said that I'm never going to have a moment where I don't have my gloves on ever again. You know, losing those gloves cost me from going into that window and ultimately cost that guy, you know, time. You know, he may have died anyway, but it it, it changed my outlook on, you know, being ready, how to, how to stay ready. Um, when, uh, you know, we flow, you know, we want to know why we're flowing what we're flowing. You know, we, we changed our hose complement a few years later to 7-8 bores and combat ready spec hose. And, you know, we understood why we were flowing what we're flowing now versus, you know, why you shouldn't flow what you're flowing back then. Um, I mean, getting inside and protecting that stairway, if you're going to be interior, you know, protect those means of egress, you know, um, have guys, you know, that are able to break off and, and do those searches while a guy in the hose line is providing, you know, fire attack. You know, it is possible to do it with two people. You know, it's not something where you, you have to be stuck to the hose line together. Um, and, you know, most, I think the biggest thing I take away from that too is, you know, I, I learned to do a lot of things by myself after that. I learned how to, you know, force doors by myself because we didn't have a formal forceful entry program. We didn't have a door prop. Um, I learned how to deploy hose by myself, learned that there's different hose loads out there. And if you are going to utilize a hose load like a flat load, you need to know all the different ways to deploy it. Um, you need to know how to quickly mask up, you know, especially with gloves on, you know.
0: You know what I love about, um, you know, talking to you at, Firemanship conferences, uh, twenty twenty, is that um, like you're out there and and you're spreading the word now. Like you're out there and training and teaching others, and like you definitely hit probably one of the most high uh, highest stress calls of your life, um, and possibly one of the only grabs you might even get uh, on your uh, from yourself from, from your whole career. But yet you're out there making yourself better after you hit a peak. And you continue to help make other people better. So I love that. Um, I appreciate that. One thing I, you know, like I heard in the, you know, in your story, it's like, you know, you show up, there's the couple of you guys, um, you see the mom, the dad, the kid out in the front porch. You're like, ah, and you go over the radio and you say, all occupants are out. Now, obviously, yeah. if you probably, you probably know that's one of my things that i like to push of like, we never repeat those that over the radio or anything of the sort. Now that being yeah. said, <laughs> that's just one of the conversations to have. What's something you, what do you feel about that term? Um, if someone tells you everybody's out or when you see people, what, what do you do now? I'm I'm glad
1: you, I'm glad you hit that up because that's one of my biggest pet peeves now, actually. Um, the way I look at the public now is, you know, these are the same people that call 911 because they can't remember simple things. They can't remember how to turn their gas off. They'll they'll lock their child in a car and call us. So why am I going to depend on somebody's life? in their hands, especially if it's a neighbor or even the occupant that lives there. Um, I mean, my personal stance now is, you know, that building is, is, is declared, you know, occupied until I can prove otherwise. Every grab that I've read about, you know, thanks to your website, think, you know, uh, personal testimonies from so many different people, you know, I, I cannot physically justify unless you know, again, even if I lived in that house, I can't physically justify, that there's nobody in there, you know, uh, you know, vacants are the same way. I look at vacants the same way. I used to think vacants were just all defensive, stay away from it. Don't even bother wasting flown flowing water on it back then. But now I have a high index of suspicion. There could be somebody in there. And if there is a space to occupy, we've got to occupy it. That's not, it's it, you know, I, I believe in God, you know, with all my heart and, you know, he put me here for a reason. And I think one of the things that he wants to constantly remind me of is that it's his job to decide who lives and who dies. It's not mine. You know, my job is to do what he called me to do, which was, you know, to give that person every chance and then he'll do the rest and he'll work through the medics and through the doctors that are working with him in the, the hospital. So I, I'm never going to sit there and assume a building is unoccupied. I'm always going to assume a building's occupied until I physically have searched it.
0: All right. Well, uh, Dustin, thanks for uh, coming on to the show and sharing your story. If you're on scene of a structure fire with a rescue or assist with a dead or alive civilian, help us capture our wins and specific details that improve our rescue and search across the nation and fill out one survey per victim at www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Also, you can join the Facebook group, Firefighter Rescue Survey, where hundreds of rescues are being recorded monthly. If you would like to share your story on grabs, contact Grant Schwalbe, uh, or at Residential Primary Search, Making a Grab, or myself, Justin Williams. Uh, You can do it on the Book of Faces or Search Culture, or you can probably give me a text or give me a call, 503-729-2734. Thank you.